Welcome to the Jali Podcast, a podcast from the Nawi Collective, creating a space for oral documentation between and about African women working to tackle macroeconomic inequalities using a Pan-African feminist lens. I am your host, Elizabeth Miner. In this season, we will interrogate the African continental free trade area along several themes, providing analysis, critique of the AFCFTA, as well as consider tangible alternatives that would make the AFCFTA work better for African women. We have an amazing lineup of guests and topics planned for this season, and we cannot wait to dive in and start exploring together. So let's get started. This week's episode is part of a two-part series exploring the AFCFTA and feminist considerations on Pan-African sovereignty with our guest Fatima Keleha. In this episode, Fatima uses a Pan-African feminist lens to guide us in imagining what an AFCFTA working towards securing a more sovereign and economically just future, especially for African women, looks like. Some of the issues that African countries should be building consensus on and how feminist movement building can inform our collective activism. So, Fatima, as we pick up from our conversation from last time, you talked about solidarity and your paper calls for the process of determining a policy of solidarity as part of the African countries developing a common position in relation to the AFCFT. Could you share with us what are some of the issues that we must build consensus on? Yes. So I'll start off by, I suppose, again, coming back to, I think it was a keynote address at the Tralac Annual Conference in 2014, you know, regional integration. um, And we must remember in 2014, the CFTA had yet to be implemented. And so we weren't using that language, but there was, all of this was part of the run up to the CFTA, the, the African CFTA coming into force. And he, he said, regional integration is a political project when it functions at all. It functions as a political project. And, you know, it's very interesting because I have had so many conversations on the African CFTA with people. And there is a view, and and I do believe this view has come about as a result of, you know, where we have gone economically and politically in our thinking and in our policymaking over the last 40 years. There is a view that getting the economics right first is fine. And then the politics will follow later. I just don't agree with that. And, you know, the reason why is because, you know, all economic decision making is political. You know, it's definitely not apolitical. You make an economic choice based on a theory, which informs often an ideology. And then this comes into a political framework, and then it creates policy. So neoliberalism is not apolitical, but it has, you know, tried to present itself as apolitical. And the depoliticization of economic policy has therefore become an accepted standard um, over the last 30 years or so. And, you know, neoliberalism has, like I said, framed itself as an apolitical endeavor. But again, you know, quoting Makandawiri, he says, where economics is the exclusive focus, there are no policies to redress the asymmetric distribution of their benefits and costs, which may result in friction among member countries. So you need to have a solidarity that runs alongside, you know, ideally it should come first if if you can, but you know, that's probably not realistic in and of itself. But there needs to be a move towards political solidarity and key issues. And I think 
It's very important because actually, you know, it's not apolitical because neoliberalism itself and, you know, the CFTA is framed as you know, a neoliberal tool and it's a doctrine and a political choice. And, you know, Lynn Osome, our feminist economist Lynn Osome argues that, you know, this depoliticization itself has also concealed what could be called the multiple dimensions of dispossession under capitalism, you know, and, and I think I've highlighted some of those within my paper, and we've touched on some of those within this conversation now. So given within the current geopolitical context that we have of debt, austerity, um, and intense foreign interest in the CFTA, as the CFTA unfolds in the coming decade, you know, there is no greater time for what I call an autonomous discussion on what political solidarity as the continent should look like as we liberalize our internal borders and go towards that industrialization. You know, our regional bodies, as well as the AU itself, do not carry enough political weight. They don't carry the political weight needed to address the geopolitical asymmetries that are at play at the moment, you know. And so African member states often face these alone as they fight for their national interests. And these national interests cannot be dismissed because they are the reality of the many fragmentations that we have at the continental level. So political solidarity really matters. We need to start having that conversation far more urgently in relation to what that would mean with that farm, the African CFTA, because it's naive to assume that any of this is going to be apolitical, but also because there has been such an intense interest in Africa, you know, and since 2022, so just since last year, you know, um, they're looking, we've got increased interest from countries like Japan, Turkey, you know, as well as, you know, other states. So we have to really look at what all of that means. And there are ways in which, you know, we can do this. And, you know, there, there are some suggestions for how we can start to approach this. I think the first thing that we need to do, and, and this is where feminist positioning and the ability that feminists have, and, you know, African feminism, we must always remember. And uh, Hakima Abbas and um, Amina Mama said this way back in 2014 in Feminist Africa, you know, that the relationship between African feminism and pan-Africanism is close because our African feminist movements have often been propelled and initiated by pan-Africanism itself and the decolonial impetus within that. There's this great quote from Octavia Butler, the great speculative fiction writer that I I love and I (laughs) I like to to, to share whenever I can, which is the decolonization of the imagination is the most dangerous and subversive form there is, for it is where all forms of decolonization are born. Once the imagination is unshackled, liberation is limitless. And I think our policymakers need to start reading more Octavia Butler for for definite, just as a starting point. But, you know, really maybe have that somewhere like in the halls of the AU or the African uh, Continental Free Trade Area Agreement Secretariat in Accra or something as a way to remind us that it's really important to come out of the idea that this development trajectory is inevitable. We have to have a visioning that goes beyond certain acceptances of what development looks like for a start. So, you know, we need to go beyond the, just the idea of growth. We do want to grow industrially. We have a right to grow because everybody else has done it. And indeed, we, have, we are far from exceeding our planetary boundaries, for example, when it comes to climate crisis. We also want to reach a place where that growth, you know, is not just endless, um, and just continuously accumulative, 
when there is so much inequality um, that has come on the back of growth. So this is why when we question the, the rhetoric around gender and trade within the CFTA, and you know, it's all about how women can contribute to growth, we have to ask not just what the CFTA can do for women, you know, as Pan-African feminists, we're also asking what should the CFTA be doing for women? What should our idea of a regional integration be doing for women? And especially all of those who have been failed by the economic decision-making, uh, especially of the last 40 years, you know, what comes out of that is what will the CFTA be allowed to do for Africa's women and all of its peoples? And, and we need to challenge that and take ownership of it. Um, and so I, I think there's, you know, we can start with a whole variety of things. One of the first things is, you know, African policymakers, I think, need to pull together an urgent, collective and clear discourse that engages with existing propositional frameworks for future realities, including feminist ones. And there are many, you know, the African feminist post-COVID recovery, recovery agreement, you know, from 2020 um, has been a great source of inspiration for many of us. But now you see a flourishing of many visions and, you know, feminist ones are often at the forefront of challenging the orthodoxy and the inequalities that are inherent within the orthodoxy. And so, you know, we need to look at whether the, the CFTA as a liberalizing instrument, you know, you know, what is it going to mean for equitable quality public services as an example to really appraise the relationship between their policymaking decisions and the existing templates of privatization, etc., that seem to be increasingly dominant um, uh, across the continent. We need to look at you know, there are a whole variety of different things that we could look at. My more concrete suggestion in the paper is to really initially develop a framework for unpacking and understanding the CFTA and how it intersects with other extracontinental trade agreements, investment treaties, austerity policies, and debt obligations. And this should be informed by political economy and feminist gender analysis to essentially bring out, you know, if they're genuinely interested in women and the CFTA, to bring out women's rights and gender justice issues. And, you know, this can be a review of the technical aspects of the agreement and its protocols using the lens um, that I proposed, uh, a review of rules of origin in relation to existing private actors on the continent with transnational characteristics, an understanding of how our developing our value chains are going to be tied to global markets and how these may undermine African indigenous actors, livelihoods and overall well-being. You know, they should be done, these frameworks should be done initially at the national level in the first instance, because like I've said, those national relationships between individual AU members and extracontinental actors currently have preeminence. And then they should also be integrated into CFTA implementation plans. But then we need to go on to consolidate that at regional and then continental uh, levels. And, you know, all of these frameworks should include, include those critical women's rights issues, you know, gender justice, low wages, unprotected, gender segregated jobs, rural livelihoods. You know, there's a whole piece in the paper that I haven't gone into today that looks at uh, the issue of green agendas, you know, global green agendas, and how that's going to impact on our relationships with the extractive industry in particular, and, um, and how that then intersects again with trade agreements, um, as well as debt servicing, as well as own continued need for extractives in order to actually fuel the CFTA. 
And so there's a whole piece that can be done there. The process of determining a policy of solidarity across the continent uh, is something that needs to be done immediately. You know, we've got this review that's supposed to be coming up around 2025 of how the implementation of the CFTA is going. And this is the time perhaps where we start putting that work in. So when we have that meeting, we can really understand what some of our areas of consensus are in relation to a policy of solidarity and how we deal with the rest of the world. Because, you know, it's really about removing those fragmentations that exist within the continent that make Africa more vulnerable to the realities of global power asymmetries. You know, an example being, for example, nationalism that's starting to occur on the back of the North's and indeed the wider world's desire for transition minerals. You know, so as we move away from fossil fuels, you know, Africa houses so many of those transition minerals largely within uh, just a few countries and one in particular, you know, Congo, which we know is woefully ignored by you know, so much of the discourse that's happening at the moment and, you know, and the, and the horrors that continue to occur there as these minerals are being extracted. And that's only going to increase as global northern countries have pressure put on them by their electorates to become more and more green. You know, so that relationship really needs to be on pet. So there's a whole piece that could even go there. We need to have consensus on free trade agreements and investment treaties with countries and blocks outside of the continent. We also need to have a very clear policy, I believe, on FDI, the conditions that can follow in FDI, the regulation of FDI, including considerations around just taxation, you know, sort of not continuously given tax breaks, um, and therefore moving to regressive taxation, such as VAT, which we know impacts women more, um, and an understanding, a collective understanding of how these benefits, you know, for from FDI are really going to impact everybody, and not just the few as industrialization expands and grows. The issue of austerity policy has already been very well addressed within the African continental free trade area agreement where essentially you know we need to have a very clear ability the ability to say no <laughs> you know you can't do that individually but if you form blocks around these issues you know you you potentially can and we need to find a way to actually kind of weaponize the social impact that these austerity policies are having you know when we go to the negotiation table but we can only do that as a collective so actually you know the AU and African policymakers need to learn from feminist movement building where we know inherently that collective activism will always be by far more successful than just simply operating you know in our individual units there are a lot of other areas of engagement that we can work on and in the paper I've given some you know examples of how we can start to build some of those collective considerations in order to address the realities of that geo political hegemony, which will play a major role, but so far we haven't discussed it well enough, a major role in the rollout of the CFTA. It's important for us to have the, have the full picture, especially because if everyone else is, is very conveniently operating from this more fragmented state because it serves their own, you know, either national interests or as the case and, and it really is the case, their political and personal interests. I think it's important to lay out like the full picture of what we should be working towards and what is possible and what has not been done. So, Fatima, thank you for your thoughts. And taking into consideration all that you have said, 
and especially because I really want to talk about like how the feminist movement is providing leadership around this. Where do you see the opportunities for change or the change already happening from a feminist perspective? Shout out to your So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a big one. I think I, I have touched on these throughout some of the discussion today. You know, I think the opportunities really lie in the fact that we have people working really hard on trying to address some of these issues, including, you know, now we let's start off with the fact that we're really trying to interrogate the CFTA from a multiplicity of approaches, which I don't think has been done so far in this way. And there always has to be that body of people who are willing to say, okay, but hold on, let's have a look at it from this point of view. What we don't want you know, and I always think about this from the perspective of kind of generations, right? And, you know, and I don't think you have to be a parent to think about it like this at all. You know, you look back and you say, in, you know, in 2050, you know, what we really don't want to do is look back and say, oh, you know, maybe we should have asked a few more questions. <laughs> you know, maybe we should have, you know, had a bit more of a critical discussion about this because it turns out that, you know, we didn't get it quite right or it turns out that it kind of went wrong at this point. This is the time to do it now. And, and I think there are opportunities for us, you know, to do that. And we've got a mushrooming now, I think, of feminist discourse on uh, the economy, which has been there for a long time in movements, but we're now starting to see it enter kind of more public spaces. And those people who are putting their head over the parapet, and, and to a large extent you are, because, you know, one of the things even with the CFTA is because of that subtext I spoke about earlier, of Pan-Africanism, you know, um, but so far not really interrogated or questioned, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do it in, in this piece. If you say anything negative against it, you know, you could be, you know, sort of like shut down for, for being un-Pan-Africanist yourself, <laughs> because it seems like you're not interested in regional integration, you know, but regional integration and the CFTA are not exactly the same thing. You know, the CFTA, like I said, is a tool of regional integration. So we have to question whether we have the right tool. And I think we are, doing that. So we have organizations, we have Maui, you know, we've got Femnet, we've got Akinamama. These organizations are looking at economics in different ways. And I think that provides us with an opportunity to be far more interrogative. What we do need is that we need to be able to find a language for communicating this to those who ultimately hold the decision-making power on our continents. And I think there are ways to do this. I know that we have a lot of policymakers who are committed to the neoliberal school of thought. But then at the same time, I also believe, you know, that there are many policymakers for whom this issue of geopolitical, you know, hegemonies could really strike a chord and be a trigger because they understand the realities of not being allowed to maybe make the decisions that they want to, you know, those who entered public life, you know, to do public service may find themselves having been frustrated throughout their careers. And, and if there are any out there who feel that way, these are the kinds of opportunities for engagement. But more than anything, I think we do need social movements to join this. We, the CFTA is not very well known at the moment on the continent. And we have to take this opportunity, the opportunity that we have even of, you know, the digital world that we live in, to really put that message out there as much as we can so that everybody can start to understand, okay, this is what's happening. This is how it could impact. This is the good it could do. But this is also the stuff that might not work as well for me my community, you know, my nation, how can we engage with that? You know, what do I need to do in order to sort of have a voice in this and play a part in it? 
And we need to start building those movements. We've got our amazing academics on the continent who have been theorizing so much around the economy for years. I've mentioned a few like Lynn Osome, but how we connect all of that with the social movement building is now where we are. And I think there are opportunities for that. I think they're fledgling, to be perfectly honest. You know, I like to keep it real. But, you know, if there was no hope, we wouldn't be putting all of this work in, you know, and there's always hope. And, and I genuinely believe in Octavia Butler's quotes, you know, and I, and I believe that we will get to the point where we do start decolonizing our imagination of what possibilities there are for an African future. I'm loving this conversation so much. What is your biggest hope or dream for a regionally integrated Africa as a pattern <laughs> my biggest hope and dream for regionally integrated Africa again I, I will come with another quote I'm just dropping quotes left right and center mainly because I think it's really important for us to acknowledge the root of our thought processes you know and, and where we get those thought processes from but this is quite a recent quote actually from again Sylvia Tamale it just says Africa will inevitably rise like those many heads of the hydra it needs a decolonial break from the tether that ties its economies to the global capitalist market and I think I've put that at the beginning of the paper because my big hope for regionally integrated Africa is, is sort of twofold. It is a regionally integrated Africa that is able to take those sovereign pan-African decisions and to really get that independence that our independence leaders and social movements, you know, let's not, it's not just the big names of Nkrumah, Cabral and Sankara, who we all know, and they were all really critical, but also the many social movements that supported their work with many nameless individuals within that, names that, you know, have not been recorded. And those dreams for me really are still very much alive, but, you know, within sort of the 21st century kind of vibe, you know, 2023 vibe. And that was their dream. You know, to really de-link, you know, and, and de-linking is something, you know, again, one of our great economists, Samir Amin, you know, wrote about extensively the importance of making that de-linking so that we are not tied to a decision-making process that is not coming from our continent, but ultimately is also essentially detrimental to the needs of our continent. But then the second part of that is for us to envisage a future Africa that does not just mimic what we consider to be development, you know, that we have seen elsewhere, whether it be the US, the UK, the EU, or even in East Asia. I sometimes hear a lot of colleagues talking about looking to the East Asian model, and I don't think that's completely right either. You know, first of all, the contexts are so fundamentally different you know this idea of replication is immensely problematic you know we know that <laughs> the global northern countries you know got their development by exploiting extracting enslaving you know accumulating appropriating first of all like who are we going to do that to and would we want to do it and are we going to do it to ourselves so we have to think about you know a way <laughs> that we develop completely differently and what that means is thinking about the end goal a future africa that is not just obsessed with growth, you know, is not just obsessed with material accumulation and is looking at really a socially just and economically just future period where the process of regional integration and the process of industrialization can deliver, you know, an economy that really looks to the well-being of people and planet and not just profit. And I think that is absolutely critical that we have that as our end goal first because then all of the points and all of the different mechanism and and the cogs you know that need to be put in place so the cfta has 
an outer casing. It's like a veneer of what it could deliver. But underneath it, there are mechanisms that will make it happen. And, you know, what kinds of cogs they are will ultimately be determined by what kind of a vision of, you know, the Africa we want. And I think the Africa we want needs to be far more socially and economically just in terms of its outcomes for people and the land and the resources of our continent as well than so far we have currently envisioned. And so we need to start visioning collectively really soon. Thank you, Fatima. I look forward to the work that you will do around this because I know that there are a few things in the pipeline to actualize like your vision for an economically just AFCFTA and also like the work that the different movements are doing. Thank you for your time. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Stay connected with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms to stay up to date on all things Jali. Until next time, remember to keep amplifying the voices and perspectives of African women in your own circles. See you.